This is episode 43 of The Popcast. Hello, welcome to The Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Welcome back to our loyal listeners. Maureen, another week. How are you? I'm good, honey. How are you? Spring has sprung. It's so beautiful. It's been like gorgeous weather. We've been able to take our son to the playground a bunch after work, which has been so nice. And the flowers are blooming and the trees are green. And I love everything And for the first it. time since I think that Maureen and I have known each other, she has stated that she really loves spring. Yeah. I always thought Maureen was a summer person, which she is. But this year, she's very into spring. Yeah, we were walking to the grocery store the other day. And I feel like I've just been taking more walks outside lately. And I don't know why. I've always loved summer because it's hot and you know, historically there was no school and you could just relax. And I love swimming. Historically, it's just for kids. Well, in my history, <laughs> historically for me. But I love swimming in the pool, in the lake, in the ocean. I love it all. And I love the fall because it's my birthday. And I loved back to school. And you love the winter because it's my birthday. Nah, nah, dog on the winter. However, what? I just feel like there's something like really cool about spring this year. Like everything's just coming back to life. It's it's awesome. I'm into spring. I am also into spring this year. It's very nice. It was nice to exit the cold and into the warmth. I really just like wearing shorts. We've talked about it on the podcast before. Josh, his spirit animal is shorts. My spirit Mesh animal is shorts. a pair of shorts. Maureen, let's jump into the snack bag here. First snack bag topic. This is pretty fun. This guy named James Holzhauser. He's a gambler from Las Vegas. He is on a run on Jeopardy. As of the recording of this podcast, which is Thursday, April 25th, he has won 16 games in a row, which in the grand scheme of number of games won isn't really that much. It's only fourth all time. Obviously, Ken Jennings, he won 74 games in a row. That is crazy. Yeah. So how much money did he make? He made over two and a half million dollars, I think, in 74 games. So this guy, James, the, the, the interesting thing about him is that he is winning a lot of money per game. He's averaging something like $70,000 per game that he's winning. He now holds the record, the, the top five amounts earned per game ever. Why, so Why is that? The, he's just so much better than his Yeah, so opponent? he's really good with the buzzer, which is a real key thing. If you're ever going to go on Jeopardy, I've heard practice the buzzer with like a pen or something like that. But he bets a lot of money. So he gets a lot of high dollar. He's a gambler. Yeah, he gets a lot of high dollar clues first. Then he'll get the daily double and he'll bet all of it. And he usually knows the answer. So he's doubling these really high amounts. Wow. So he, as of the recording of this podcast, has not lost, and he has made $1.2 million in just 16 games. So if he continues, which it seems like he will for a little while, he could easily beat Ken Jennings, you know, money earned. Now, he, the highest earned ever in Jeopardy was like $4.5 million, but that was due to some like Tournament of Champions money. But Ken Jennings, just over his 74-game run, made 2.5 million or something like that. So I think this guy. It's so interesting that like his ability to like be a little bit more risky and reckless is paying off, but that's because he has the intelligence to back it up. Yeah, you have to. And the other interesting thing is in all but one of his games so far, 
he's won the 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 game by final jeopardy. So you know sometimes it's within like if you get it wrong and someone else gets it right, you might lose the whole game, but he's never only once in his 16 game run so far has he ever been challenged during final jeopardy and he's only not known one final jeopardy clue his whole his whole time on the show so far. It's almost becoming like must watch TV. So I think I'm going to try to tune in tomorrow, which is Friday, the day this podcast drops. I, I really am curious to at least record it. I want to yeah, see how he does. Let's watch him. So anyway, we will keep tabs. Maybe next week he'll still be on it. We can give an update on the on the podcast. Second snack bag topic. People magazine released their edition of their beautiful people edition of the magazine. I didn't even know they did this, but yeah, apparently they they've do. been doing it since mm-hmm. the early 90s. Yeah. And it's mostly always women on the cover. There have been a few men. I think Mel Gibson was on it one time. I think Leonardo DiCaprio. Mel Gibson. Okay, Leo. Let's go back to Leo. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful man. I think in the early, mid-90s, you know, Mel Gibson before he (laughs) had his craziness. He's he's not an ugly human. Like, he's a good-looking guy just empirically. Like, he's not ugly. But I would never say Mel Gibson would be on the list of, like, most beautiful people. And not just the list. He was on the cover, which means... I don't know. Was this like Braveheart days maybe? Yeah. Actually, I think it was right around Braveheart. still. Like maybe the year after. So this year, the cover went to Jennifer Garner. And I was thinking about this whole concept of like beautiful people. My first thought of all this was, I wouldn't say Jennifer Garner is the most beautiful person. But then I thought beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So someone might think she's the most beautiful. But then I also heard Ellen DeGeneres talk about this, too. Jennifer Garner appeared on Ellen's show right after this cover came out. And she said, you know, Jennifer, you're both beautiful outside and in. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you, crazy? Jennifer Garner is the perfect fit because she's actually beautiful. Like, she's an actually, like, a beautiful person inside and out. My dad used to say inside and out. Dad and Patty used to say inside and out like an Oreo cookie. There you go. We were beautiful like that. I wouldn't call an Oreo cookie beautiful. I mean, it's really tasty, but beautiful. Well, anyway, Jennifer Garner is like a good person, but she's also beautiful. Like on the outside, she's stunning. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't like say she's the beauty, most beautiful person. But it's a natural beauty. There's nothing fake about her. There's nothing processed about her. There's nothing like overly primped. Like I was reading the article and it's like she just like lets her hair air dry so she can spend more time with her. And I wish you did that. It would save a lot of time I with that did hair that dryer. This morning. Oh, cool. I took a shower. (laughs) Wet. Got in the car. (laughs) It was wet. Anyway, I just feel like she never really has like a ton of makeup on. She's just naturally beautiful. And I feel like other people have to work at it, but she doesn't. Did you see the thing that her kids said when she comes home? They're like, please wash off your makeup. Put your hair in a ponytail. Put on sweatpants. They they don't like her all dolled up because they're like, that's not the mom I know. Yeah. I just want mom who's laid back and relaxed. I think when you strip away everything and picture her in like jeans and a t-shirt, with no makeup on and her hair in a ponytail, she's still the same kind of beautiful. Whereas other people, if you were to do that, I don't think they are. Well, after I thought about it more, I thought, okay, this is a good pick. But looking back, there's no rhyme or reason. Again, I think with People Magazine, it's like whoever decides that they are going to agree to a photo shoot so that they can be on the cover, ultimately will be on the cover of the magazine. But you know, more the more that I thought about it, I thought, okay, this is a good choice. Last snack bag topic this week, Rami Malek has been cast as the villain in the upcoming James Bond movie. It's the 25th James Bond movie. I think it'll be Daniel Craig's last go as James Bond He's before old, they so it should be. cast someone else. What were you, what were your initial thoughts about this? I the first thing I thought is I mean this is just He's he's so perfect for a villain. Yeah, I don't know he what... already is. I'm just picturing him being Mr. Robot. Like, yeah, but that he's not a villain was... in that show. No, but, but he was kind of creepy, creepy and weird. Yeah. 
I can see Rami Malek being, he's never going to be the villain that's like strong and like threatening physically. He's going to be the villain that's like creepy and like and going to outsmart you or be really mean to you. I feel like he'll be like the kind of villain, what was his name? Bane? Who was the guy? Bane, yeah, from Batman? But not not Bane, the, the guy who was behind Bane. What? The, the guy who was the creepy, the creepy, his name was like Callum, Callum something. I have no idea what Killian, you're talking about. He was an Killian eye. Murphy? Yes. Yeah, his that's, character. That has, has that nothing Bane? to, no, has nothing <laughs> to do with Bane. Movie? No, no, it, it is from Batman. <laughs> it is from Batman. It has nothing to do with Bane, though, so. Okay, well, that, yes, because he was like working for that guy. No, Killian Murphy was the bad guy in the first Batman, <laughs> Batman Begins, the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie. I, I do know what you're saying. Sort of a cerebral villain yes, as you. opposed okay, to, yeah. that was a much more succinct way of saying it, as yeah. opposed to the guy who was behind Bane, but also not Bane. <laughs> he wasn't Bane or in that movie at all. Whoops. No, I think that he'll be an interesting villain. The thing I wanted to ask you is, will he do his own villainous looks or will he have someone dub them for him? <laughs> I was like, what? How can you Come on, he got his voice I dubbed. But okay, well, it was kind of funny. It was funny when I was... Uh, when I was coming up with that joke. Okay, not as funny for Morn. Okay, last thing I wanted to talk about here. This weekend marks the arrival of the 22nd Marvel film, Avengers Endgame. This is sort of the culmination of the last 11 years of Marvel filmmaking. The thing that I want to talk about, just really quickly, how much money will it make in its opening weekend? And I was going to say, for reference, Avengers Infinity War, which is the prequel to this one made 257 million dollars in its first weekend i say 357 357 million i'm gonna go lower than that i think probably like 290 million i don't think it'll make that much more that seems like the exact same number as last time go big or go home josh Uh, okay you went you went big and you're also going to go home really big (laughs) okay that will about do it for the snack bag this week before we jump into our marquee topic where we are talking beyonce at coachella baychella for documentary homecoming let's hear a quick word from one of our sponsors do you ever listen to an episode of the podcast and think man i'd love to give podcasting a try or maybe you think to yourself that josh he's a hack i could do my own show about pop culture i'd want to keep maureen though she's great well i've got good news for you anchor the very platform we use for the podcast is the easiest way to make a podcast their platform is super simple to use and gives you everything you need to make your show in one place either on your phone or on your computer and the best part it's completely free to use they have the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast and they'll take care of distribution so you can make your voice heard everywhere from apple Podcasts to spotify to google podcasts and more You can also make money from your podcast and get this, there is no minimum listenership required to start making money. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, back to the show. All right, marquee topic this week. As promised, we are going to be discussing the Netflix documentary Homecoming. It is Beyonce's film. She wrote, directed, executive produced. I don't know what writing this really means, but she was sort of the storyteller of this documentary. It all came from Beyonce. It is basically a Netflix film chronicling the headlining Beyonce sets at Coachella 2018. Coachella, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a big music festival in California. Her headlining performances were the first by a black woman in the festival's history. So that's kind of interesting and a nice uh, glass ceiling breaking moment. So this is sort of like part concert film. It's probably like two thirds concert film and then part cinema verite documentary, like a third of that. And for those of you not familiar, Cinema Verite is sort of like 
fly on the wall type of filmmaking where you just have, you know, not professional cameras filming behind the scenes and just sort of observing what's happening. So it's a style of documentary that is not as popular nowadays, but if you've ever seen the movie Grey Gardens, it is a cinema verite documentary at its finest. It's not for everybody, but that's the kind of style of filmmaking this is. So you see the performances at Coachella in full, and the way the movie is set up is we're cutting between the performance with both professional angles and what appear to be like cell phone angles from the audience. And then that's intercut with behind the scenes fly on the wall footage, which was chronicling the preparation for this huge event. So they spent eight months preparing for the performance and incorporated more than 100 dancers, musicians, instrumentalists, vocalists, all people of color on stage with her throughout the performance. There was also a small cameo from her husband, Jay-Z, a reunion with Beyonce's former group Destiny's Child, and a quick cameo from her sister Solange. And Homecoming, if you're curious about the title, refers to the fact that this was Beyonce's first performance following the birth of her twins in 2017. And it's also a reference to the importance of homecomings at historically black colleges and universities, which in the movie they talk about being sort of like the Coachella of the college experience, attending these homecomings. So this is a really interesting film. I, I really didn't know much about it before we started watching it. I just saw that there was a lot of buzz about it on social media and people were talking about it being really, really good. So the first thing I want to talk about is what were your thoughts on the film overall? And did it change your opinion of Beyonce as a performer or did you always have the same opinion of her? I liked the film. I didn't love the film. I wanted more of the behind the scenes with Beyonce. I found those parts the most compelling where you saw her and her team working. I think they had eight months of rehearsal leading up to the show. And you kind of, you know, there was one little montage where it was like, you know, 200 whatever days before Coachella, like, you know, 198 days before Coachella, like 117 days. And they kind of like counted you down and you saw like Beyonce's evolution um, and how things were getting better. I liked hearing about the concepts behind why they had dancers or performers in different songs in different ways. I liked hearing like her vision and most of all, I liked hearing about, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit, but I liked hearing about her personal journey as a performer, as a woman who was balancing motherhood and her career. And I thought those personal, like behind the scenes look were really interesting. It's not that I didn't enjoy the, just the video footage of her Coachella performance, but I think that it was a concert designed to be experienced live. And I know that they wanted to film it. So they did plan, you know, some certain angles for that. I don't know. I I just, I wanted more of the behind the scenes and I could have done with like shorter segments of the actual Coachella performance. Now I think they should have still filmed the Coachella performance, but it would have been easier to be like, okay, I'm going to tune in and watch the Coachella performance. The fact that there were such long chunks of it interspersed in the documentary was a little bit hard for me as an audience member. I didn't answer your question about like what I thought about her as a performer, but before I do, what did you think of like the style of documentary? Yeah, the movie itself, I also didn't love as a documentary. I'm with you that I really enjoyed the behind the scenes footage. I liked that cinema verite style. I thought it was nicely intercut with the performance. I think that probably the actual performance from Coachella was not directed to us necessarily. She talks a lot about in the movie about, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, but she talks a lot about she wanted this performance to be representative of black culture on stage. And I think that's probably part of the reason why she wanted it filmed was because then it would be able to be preserved so that you could share it with people who weren't able to go to Coachella. 
And I'm not sure that necessarily resonates with us in the same way that it might with someone who has experienced black culture in the same way that she has. No, but what I wasn't trying to make the point, like it wasn't the content. Like I actually found it really compelling. And I, I, you know, I thought it was really insightful. Like I felt like it was a window into more black culture than maybe I've experienced directly. So I liked that. Like I felt like it was eye-opening for me in a lot of ways. And a lot of the, like the dancing and the step team, I mean, the dancers, oh my gosh, they're phenomenal. I, I just was in awe of them. There was a modern dance segment that was really beautiful. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't that I felt like the content didn't resonate. It was more that just like, it was hard to focus on like just watching a concert and then watching a documentary and then watching a concert and watching a documentary. Like even if someone who was very culturally different, like uh, Sarah Bareilles or Ben Folds, or if somebody who was not trying to share the same message that Beyonce was about black culture was to film a documentary in this style, I still think it would be jarring to watch like musical scenes, like a musical stage performance and then behind the scenes footage in a way that wasn't really done in like a super narrative way, but was more just kind of, as you were explaining in this, what is it called? Cinema Verite. Yeah. So maybe I just didn't like that style. No, and I think you're right. I think that she was very particular. She even has a moment in one of the little behind the scenes clips where she's being very direct about how she thinks the performers themselves are doing a really good job, but she's worried that they're not able to capture Mm. the feeling that you might feel watching it live. And I'm not sure that they entirely got there. I'm sure people would have different opinions of that. I think that if you love Beyonce and you love her music, then you're really going to love this performance aspect of it because... It's like a front row seat at Coachella. Right. And I think that we both think that Beyonce is incredibly talented and like one of the most talented people out there in the music world. I mean, like the fact that she can sing so well and dance and perform in a way that, you know, gets a message to resonate. I think that's really engaging. But... I, I think that if you're not a huge Beyonce fan to begin with, like if you're not bumping to Beyonce all the time, then you yeah. might not love watching all of the concert footage. Yeah. Like if, yeah, I think that totally makes sense. I feel like I became a lot more familiar with Beyonce and her music from watching this special. And I feel like I, I always thought she was talented, like a talented performer and singer as we talked about, but I feel like I, I realized just how much more talented she is than I actually ever realized. And in there's this like fierceness about her. And it was interesting because I had just watched Lady Gaga's documentary, Five Foot Two, which I talked about on my teaser uh, a couple weeks ago. And these women are both such fierce powerhouses with incredible voices and incredible performers. They're so different. But it was it it was interesting, like Gaga, I feel like watching the documentary, I, I felt like I w- I had uncovered or she had uncovered for me the audience member a sense of fragility and vulnerability and I feel like Beyonce unearthed even more strength in herself like you really felt I felt watching this documentary like she can do anything she can change the world like she was so strong when she became stressed it wasn't not, not to say that there was anything wrong with the way Gaga was. I think they're just different people. So it was just really interesting to me. So I think that there are two major themes that I sort of saw throughout the documentary. And the first one is one I mentioned already. And the second one is one Maureen mentioned already. But the first one is Beyonce's message of inclusion. And she has a great quote in the documentary where she says, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but she says, 
when I decided to do Coachella, I'm not just going to put on a flower crown, which is kind of the symbol of people going to Coachella. She said, I'm going to bring my culture to this audience. And I thought that was a really interesting way to approach a performance. Like she took this so seriously that she felt that this was a stage where she could get on, get up in front of an audience and share something that she felt was really important to her. And it shows in the people that she decided to have on stage with her. I mean, she has, as I mentioned, performers of, of, of color entirely on stage, dancers, singers, and orchestra. And I think what it underscores, and again, Maureen and I are probably not the best people to talk about this, but I've talked with a couple people who it might resonate more with them. And they've said that this idea of seeing someone who looks like you, sounds like you, on stage in such a in such a big environment that you might not necessarily expect someone to put on a show about black culture is really important for young people to see it's really important to see yourself represented and there's a great quote that comes up on the screen there sort of these these quotes from from black men and women on the screen throughout the documentary and it says you can't be what you can't see and this one really rung true to me because i i thought that's totally true. I mean, people who grew up even 30, 40 years ago weren't seeing people like Beyonce in major festival settings talking about black culture. And so they're just left with this idea of like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see myself represented in the arts and in film and in TV. And we're getting a little bit more of it now, but I think there's a long way to go. Is that sort of what you saw as well from this? Yeah. And I I totally agree with everything you just said. It's something that well, I was going to say it's something that you don't realize is missing until you see it. And you're like, gosh, this is so amazing. We need more of this. But I think that's from my perspective. I think a lot of people do realize it's missing. For people whose experience it reflects, it's incredibly important. And it, there needs to be more of it. Yeah, I saw another story that's that sort of is related to this, where just recently this man who's 45 started crying when he finally had a Band-Aid that was the same color as his skin. He's a black man. And he said he grew up and he just had never had that experience before. And it's something that people who are not a part of that that race or their, that culture would ever really understand. And I think that pieces like this documentary are really important to being a first step into making sure that there is more inclusion in the arts. I mean, we're talking specifically about pop culture here, but you know, just everywhere. There needs to be representation because young people are looking to the people in pop culture and the people in politics and everywhere, and they're, they want to see themselves. They want to see that they can do that someday. And I think that, you know, this is a really important documentary from that perspective. So I totally agree with you. I want to talk about when she started to explore being a new mom. Yeah. So that was the other theme of this documentary which is, you know, one of Beyonce as a mother and how she balances that role being a mother with also being a performer. And I don't really think that I have much to offer here, but you, Maureen, as a working mother, might have some perspective here. But what did you think about how she approached it and how she basically said that family is the most important thing to her? And, you know, it wasn't like when she was younger where she could just work 15 hours a day. I mean, she had to go feed her kids and be with her family. So obviously I'm not performing at Coachella, but I felt like I really related to Beyonce as she was kind of, 
you know, a little bit more open and vulnerable about this. And again, it wasn't like direct style interview, so you're kind of observing it, but she was pretty candid about what she went through. And when she was pregnant with the twins, she said she was 218 pounds when she delivered them and delivered them and they were healthy and wonderful. And then it was like, you know, she felt like she had lost a little bit of herself. And when she was preparing for Coachella, she went on this very, you know, strict, healthy eating diet and she had all of these goals to get back in shape. But you see her at one of these first rehearsals and she's still, you know, got some of the baby weight on her, which is very normal and happens to all of us after we have children. Um, and she was talking about how her body just wasn't as strong as it used to be. And like, am I ever going to get back there? Like, am I ever going to get back to who I used to be? And this was a very emotional thing for me as I was listening to her talk about it. Obviously, her circumstances were different. I work in marketing. Beyonce is a major world performer. (laughs) But it's true that after you have children, you change. Your body changes your mind, your heart, like you're expanded in a way that didn't feel possible before. And so it's like you want to get back to your old self, but your old self doesn't exist. And like she talked about that a little bit at the end, that like, yeah, she fit into her old costume and like she achieved all of these amazing goals into getting her body in shape and being able to dance again and training for it and, you know, building up her endurance and her strength. But She also talked about homecoming was like coming back to herself, but it's like this new version of herself that's better than before. And that's what kids do to you. And I just really identified with that. And I thought it was a really powerful message out there for mothers that it's not always about getting back to the exact exact same place that you were before you had the children. It's about, you know, finding yourself again. And Beyonce said at one point, she was like, I'm never going to lose myself that much again. So it's about like staying in touch with who you are and your values and what's important to you. But you're evolving as you're having these kids. And it was just, it was interesting the way she shed light on that. I really appreciated that. So the last thing I want to talk about here is, do you think from the, from what you gathered from watching the documentary and watching the performance at Coachella, do you think that the message that she was trying to get across, do you think that resonated with the audience that was there my, my interpretation was that it didn't. I think they were just sort of there at this, you know, hi- hippie festival. And I'm not sure but that how they... how would you know? I mean, like... It just was sort of... That's just my interpretation of how they were reacting. I mean, you think you're just going to go see Beyonce performing a normal show, but this was clearly something bigger than that. And I think my interpretation as well is that's why she wanted it filmed. She wanted mm-hmm. to be able to preserve it, as I mentioned before. She wanted to be able to show it to her kids when they were older so that they could understand what she was trying to get across here. Yeah, I don't know. I was actually thinking about this as we were preparing for this podcast, and I chose not to Google and look for stories of people's reactions to this because I wanted to share my thoughts before I had other people's thoughts in my mind. But maybe next week as a follow-up, we can see. Like, I I would be very interested to read what people who were at Coachella and experienced it live thought and what the reaction is now that this documentary has been released. Yeah, I think you'd have to try to find stories that were published right after the performance and not right after the documentary came out and people saying, oh, I was there and I totally agree with everything I saw in the documentary. But I think that's an interesting point. I think that if you have a chance to watch this, if you have Netflix, I definitely recommend it. It's it's a bit long. It's two hours and 17 minutes, so you're going to have to settle in for a little bit of a longer film. But I think it's especially worth it to sort of understand these themes 
that we were talking about, understand them a little bit deeper because we're never going to be able to do it justice to the way it was presented in the film. But if you're interested in how she feels about this subject matter, about influencing young people with, you know, representations, positive representations of black culture and her thoughts on motherhood and being a woman, I think it's definitely worth checking out. So it's on Netflix now. It's called Homecoming. And if you watch it, let us know what you think. We'd love to share your thoughts on the podcast. Should we move on to teasers? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to kick it off? So my teaser is another Netflix documentary. It's called Heal. And it is by director Kelly Noonan Gores. Gores. I don't know exactly how to say her last name. It takes you on a scientific and spiritual journey where they explore that our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions have a huge impact on our health and our ability to heal. And they have a lot of famous people interviewed like Deepak Chopra, um, Marianne Williamson. I'm just fascinated by this topic and I find it really interesting and the documentary was really compelling. Looking at the way that our thoughts can affect what's happening in our body and also looking at like food and what we fuel our body with and how that can really have impacts on us. So check it out. I thought it was really interesting and compelling and makes you think twice about the way you talk to yourself in your head. My teaser this week is a Netflix original show called Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj. Hassan Minhaj is an American comedian, but he comes from a North Indian Muslim family. So he has an interesting perspective being a U.S. citizen, but also coming from this Muslim family. His show is sort of like a political commentary on different topics. So every week he would cover a different topic. So he covered topics like the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He talked about oil. He talked about Amazon. He does it in a really funny way. It's it's sort of like The Daily Show, which is where he cut his comedy chops. He was on The Daily Show for four or five years before he broke out and did his own thing. But I find it really interesting. It helps me learn a lot about things happening in the world. And he does it in a really humorous way. He does it in front of a live audience. So you get sort of their crowd reaction there. And I think he's a really engaging performer. So if you're interested and you're interested in politics but don't know a ton about it, it's definitely worth checking out. I even showed Maureen an episode and she even enjoyed it. Yeah, here's what I was going to say. I was going to say, full disclosure, Josh had me watch some of it. I thought it was enchanting and I don't really like politics but he was really smart and really funny I tried to show Josh some of my documentary and he straight up like walked out of the room and refused to even be I think he was like on his phone while I was watching it for like an hour sorry not my thing you didn't even try I'm not really into the like heal yourself philosophy they're just talking about different examples and the science behind it it's not about like this is what you should do didn't even give it a chance I gave it about a five minute chance while I was doing dishes Okay, everyone. All right, everybody. All right, that will do it for this week. Maureen, thanks for another great week on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next week. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast. We would love to hear from you and would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing thepopcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. I want Maureen and I to each give our prediction about how much money this will make on opening weekend. 100 million. 
One billion. In the first weekend? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, 700 million. Do you think it's going to make $700 million? How much did the last one make in the first weekend? Well, let me tell you first. Well, okay, I'm sticking with $700 million. Wow, that is totally wrong. Okay, so the game it that I wanted... It hasn't happened yet. 